Hello, and welcome to Community Calls, our ongoing effort to keep the community updated with COVID-19 and other health-related issues during the pandemic. I am Dr. Panagis Galiatsatos, an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a physician in pulmonary and critical care. Thank you for joining us. I really want to thank our listeners for always joining in, always coming on, being able to share information with your loved ones, your family, your friends, your neighbors, maybe even your postman or woman. So thank you so much. The one thing I want to emphasize, you know, when Kimberly and I discuss, oh, who should we have on next week? What topic should we throw on? This week actually gave us the topic. We had two big announcements the vaccine approval from 12 to 15-year-olds, in addition to the new uh, face mask guidance by the CDC. So Kimberly and I made the executive decision to say, how about it's just us updating you guys at the moment? Uh, this happened in real time rather quickly. Um, and so uh, her and I have been looking over what the community should know in addition to what has been put out there. So we will cover that. So Kimberly, I hope you're ready to be asking me questions after I update us with the numbers. Are you ready, my friend? I am ready, and our listeners are ready because I have already gotten so many questions. So thanks excellent, excellent. excellent. So first, first things first, let me always keep us grounded in knowing where we are at with regards to uh, the um, pandemic, right? Um, so that's... From my standpoint, I know it always comes as a recognition that it's a lot of numbers. These are continue getting bigger and bigger. But for me, it's always important, and for our listeners, in order to continue recognizing we're still in this, we're still in this pandemic. So more to come. With that said, where are we? Let's go over the numbers at this moment. Globally, we have 161,924,172 cases with a mortality of 3,360,925, giving us a mortality rate of 2.1%. Here in the United States, we have 33,626,402, with a mortality of 598,541 cases, giving us a mortality rate of 1.8%. And here in the state of Maryland, we have 454,745 cases with mortality at 8,704, giving us a mortality rate of 1.9%. Now, with that said, what we've always done as well is try to emphasize while uh, those numbers are ongoing active COVID cases, there are active um, cases in regards to mortality as well. Let's go over how we are doing state by state as we are, well, we'll go over Maryland, but how are we doing as a state in order to continue getting us vaccinated and not only protecting ourselves, but decreasing the transmission. I I, want to really commend the Marylanders and to the listeners who are in other states, you know, my heart goes out to you guys as well. But since we've been reporting these numbers, we've gone from one out of four Marylanders being vaccinated, fully vaccinated, about 25%, to about one and third, then a little over a third. Now we are at 41% of Marylanders are fully vaccinated, 41%. 
that's remarkable. I commend you all in regards to doing the best you can um, to, to go out and getting the vaccine with the confidence that it will protect you and ultimately protect others as well. I also want to say to Kimberly that um, her Eastern Shore County that she loves here in Maryland, still leading the way in uh, the higher amounts of vaccination. So they're a little over one in two. So they're in the mid 50 percentile uh, fully vaccinated. So uh, to the Marylanders, you can go and enjoy the Eastern Shore with a little bit of peace of mind as they continue getting vaccinated. So with that said, Kimberly, my friend, what do you think? Do you want me to jump into some overview of the vaccine first or the face mask, and then we'll tackle some questions? What do you think, my friend? Because I know your emails are probably uh, uh, coming in and, and record speed. So um, let's, let's start off with the masking, as I think that is the number one question and perhaps concern. Yeah, so the face masking, I think first let's just stay grounded into what the purpose of the face mask is, what the purpose of the vaccine is, and how one will benefit the other. And then we'll go over the guidelines, the newest ones. The purpose of the, vac of the face mask was to always protect others from an individual spreading his or her germs out into the air and then breathed in by someone else in close proximity. That was, that was the purpose for the face mask. I'll also say on a side note, the face mask does provide the wearer some protection, usually about 50 to 60%. Now that is good, don't get me wrong, but you know, in medicine we want it greater than 90%, right? Your N95 masks cover you 95% of inhaled particles. So with that said, with that said, in regards to the face mask, it was meant to protect others. That's why we really ask, please wear the face mask. It helps slow the transmission of the, of the virus. And in areas of the world where they had really good compliance with face masks, a lot of those regions of the world you saw end their own pandemic. Where New Zealand comes to mind, Australia is another good example. In regards to the vaccine, the vaccine's job is to protect the individual, right? That every shot you get protects you that even if I get COVID, if I get the virus, SARS-CoV-2, I will not develop a life-threatening version of COVID-19. That's, that's the purpose of the vaccine, is to protect the individual from developing a life-threatening version of the disease. It doesn't mean I can't go out and inhale it in, right? So it doesn't stop transmission. It just stops the ability from the virus of developing a lethal, a life-threatening disease. Now, how does the face mask and the vaccine help? Uh, you know, how do they interact? If enough people are vaccinated, if enough people have immunity, what that means is that when that virus gets into us, oh boy. It can't do much, meaning it can't infect thoroughly, and thereby it can't spread itself. And in doing so, it means that the virus is unable to make more of itself. And if that virus keeps going into people with immunity, yeah, its own biological clock will run out. The virus goes away. That's key. So the vaccine 
protect the individual. If enough people have it, suddenly you stop now transmission. Not only did you prevent disease, but you stopped transmission. So when we all got the vaccine, it was low numbers. I got mine back in December. And slowly, more and more people began to get it as we made it publicly available and so forth. Now, this is the key here, especially as the last couple weeks when we saw a tremendous uptick in vaccination rates, our own hospitals began to witness a massive decrease in hospitalizations, right? We, a lot of us, are kind of letting out a, a, a sigh of relief, and that is very, that is very important to recognize because that means we are turning the corner. And so the CDCs recognize that, you know, and the NIH. And so suddenly those who have immunity began to be told, hey, you can kind of go into a, a lifestyle before the pandemic. So face masks outside, right? A few weeks ago were said you could take them off. And also if you're unvaccinated, like say a child, if you're interacting with nothing but adults who are vaccinated, that child can also be okay. Yesterday, the guidance was, no, if you are vaccinated, you can emerge into the public without a face mask. Now, the, the concern we're going to have, and we're going to tackle it during our today's call, is first, I would say it, it, it caught many of us healthcare professionals a little off guard of kind of the of that of those comments. With that said, I imagine they're deciding that on good data um, that may not be right now readily available to the public. I imagine it will be released. But at the same time, I'm using the surrogates of watching these numbers come down rather significantly, which is great. So more to come as we try to get an understanding from the CDC of their allowance. But right now the guidance is if you are unvaccinated, continue abiding by the public health request of face masking in public areas, both indoors and outdoors at large gatherings. If you are vaccinated, face masks can come off. You can interact with the world, both indoors and outdoors. That's what the guidelines have emphasized. The only concern that I will raise here is that the guidelines, though, do recommend that you have to follow still the uh, local uh, um, law of the land, right? So if the city that you reside in says no face masks on public, you have to abide by that. If you go into a private business, like a, super, a supermarket that says no, you have to wear a face mask, recognize you still have to be in accordance with the request of public businesses. So the CDC does make that point. So Kimberly, my friend, that is a quick recap of both my, of the current face mask policies, but also to remind our listeners how we got here. So, um, some of the, I've gotten a lot of calls and emails about those guidelines. And I think it's important that we address um, a concern that has been expressed among many of our listeners about these restrictions. Um, that have been lifted, and their fear of it being somewhat of an experiment. So what advice can you give our listeners about that? And, and one thing, you know, like for me, I would still continue to wear a mask if that made me feel more comfortable, regardless of the guidelines. So 
I, I'm thinking that's maybe something you might say along the lines, but what would you say to those that are still very concerned about um, taking off the mask, even if they are fully vaccinated? So from my standpoint, let's go over kind of the benefit of a face mask. A face mask does stop transmission of germs. We know that. We know it prevents them from going out into the public. That's why your doctors wear them as you go into the operating room, right? We don't want to breathe our germs onto you. That's why we wear them around people who are going through chemotherapy, right? They don't have an immune system. So innocent microbes in us may be more harmful to them. Face masks work. Now, what I would strongly suggest to every listener out there is a full recognition that during the infectious control, these hygienic interventions we've been putting out, we have not only saw rates of COVID-19 come down in certain areas or stay stable, but we saw a drastic drop in other airborne viruses. Flu season, I'm, I mean this with love, I don't know how else you would take it, but I have yet to see a flu case this year. That's only happened to me before me becoming a physician, right? I could always count on a few cases here and there. Now, with that said, I will be a proponent of face masks. Um, and I was a proponent before the pandemic, right? It helps a lot of my patients, right? Their asthma allergies aren't as bad. Like, there's a lot of benefits with face masks, especially with people who have underlying lung conditions. Many benefits. So moving forward, what I would say to all is go with your instinct, right? It's routed in good logic. That is a face mask science. I, for instance, probably will wear a face mask in public. For the foreseeable future, probably, yes. I think there's a lot of good benefit to it, um, specifically in regards to controlling other infections as well. In the time of the pandemic, I probably will still do that. While I trust human beings, this is a trust but verify. I can't in good faith know if everyone around me is vaccinated. And I say this because, remember, the, the vaccine's purpose is to prevent life-threatening disease. With that said, you could still get a mild case of it. That's what we saw, for instance, in the baseball team, the New York Yankees. Players who were vaccinated still tested positive for COVID. And that, that can happen, right? People can develop a mild case of it. Finally, I interact with others who are not vaccinated. You know, my, my daughters, for instance. So for their standpoint, I will do what I can to go out in public. I'll still be face masking and physical distancing, you know, just because the CDC feels confident to allow this. But I would say to the listeners, if these are guidelines, they're not rules, so please recognize what is going to be important for you. If you are around others who are not vaccinated for whatever reason, you may want to take a similar approach to say, you know what, we'll still wear a face mask when we go in and so forth. There's nothing wrong with being extra cautious. As you recognize, staying grounded in that manner is going to be protective for you and your loved ones. So does it feel like an experiment? I'm not sure. I think they're trying to guide as much as they can. Um, maybe there's an incentive as well for others to go ahead and get vaccinated. Hopefully, we'll see if that occurs. Kimberly, hopefully that answered your question and our community members as well. 
Yes, I think that's a, that was a great response, and I appreciate you addressing that. So actually, most of the questions are regarding um, the latest news about the Pfizer vaccine. So do you want to go ahead and, and provide an overview, and then we'll directly approach the questions? Yeah, no, of course. Let's go over the uh, Pfizer vaccine as it dropped the age of uh, who can get it to 12 to 15 years old. Now, a couple of things I want to say, right? I was talking to a colleague the other day who was like, I don't know. You know, it's only it was only 2,000. Uh, uh, 2,000, well, a little over 2,000, specific numbers, 2,260 kids between 12 and 15 got it. And I reminded, I was like, that's fair. The 46,000 to date who have gotten it from a research perspective, keep in mind those age groups every five years is still about a few thousand. So the amount that we recruited, so meaning in your pediatric trials, you're not going to recruit 40,000 for each group. You're going to recruit probably a few thousand just like you did with the adults. You recruit a few thousand 20 to 25-year-olds, 25 to 30. It's just that the adult vaccine um, data for adults just gets bumped into one big group called adults. But if you break it down by each group, you definitely recognize that, yes, we did recruit a few thousands in each age bracket. So the 12 to 15-year-olds are not any different. What Pfizer did when they um, submitted their paperwork, a little over 40 pages, they made it a continuation of their prior work that they submitted back in December. The recruitment for the 12 to 15-year-olds began in the fall and completed in March. Now this, let's go over the data. Right, this is exciting. So this is the Pfizer vaccine, right? Take a step back. Who is the Pfizer vaccine, you may ask? The Pfizer vaccine is that genetic uh, version one, right? That mRNA. That's the one that was tested um, by Pfizer. Moderna did the same one. So it's given us the genetic material in order to see how patients do in regards to making the protein from the virus. Now, that's the technology. Let's go over a little bit of the population that was recruited. I always like to tell people about the demographics, right? So the Pfizer vaccine for 12 to 15-year-olds, 87% of the 2,260 recruited uh, in regards to race breakdown were white, 8% black or African-American. In regards to ethnicity, 8% were Hispanic Latino. In regards to gender, 50-50 essentially um, between boys and girls. And interestingly, from a pre-existing condition standpoint, 20% of the 12 to 15-year-olds had pre-existing conditions. Um, from asthma to uh, other um, uh, conditions. Asthma is a big one, uh, by the way. Now, how did they do? So the, the mRNA vaccines, I'm going to take a step back. We've always kind of emphasized these are really, have been really good. Kind of do, these are the students that did their extra credit homework, right? Their, their vaccine efficacy for adults was about 94 to 95% for both Pfizer and Moderna. For the age group, age group 70 and older, it's 100% effective. Well, for the youth, the 12 to 15-year-olds, 100% effective. So recruiting these, uh, these, these amazing, brave souls, the 12 to 15-year-olds, the placebo group, 16 cases of severe COVID-19. In regards to the uh, vaccinated group, 
no cases, none. So 100% effective vaccine. However, let's go over the side effects, right? Because you, you hear the benefit, but what risk does it come at, Dr. G? So the side effects, we have to break them down into two categories, adverse events and then what we call serious adverse events. Adverse events are, well, easier to define serious adverse events. Serious adverse event just means that the individual who received the intervention had a life-threatening complication that warranted hospitalization. Obviously, death could be the most extreme of that, but at a minimum, they have to be hospitalized. I will say this, from a serious adverse event, no deaths, no deaths were reported in the group that received the vaccine. What about serious adverse events? Where people still hospitalized? The answer is yes. A total of five um, uh, children were hospitalized. One from the placebo group who developed appendicitis. Now, I want to make one cl uh, clear. The fact that these are identified, it's hard to prove cause and effect, right? For instance, I always, always uh, in a, in a lighthearted uh, manner, talk about Moderna. Moderna reported a serious adverse event with one of the patients who was hospitalized after being struck by lightning. I'm pretty sure we can make an argument that the lightning is not caused by the vaccine, but you still have to report it. And then it goes to kind of the public health officials to decide if that was a cause and effect or just happened to be a coincidence. So this, the appendicitis to me, is likely a coincidence in the placebo group. The four other ones, this is you know, potentially still a, a, a coincidence, but more to come from it. One child, develop a painful uh, neuropathic pain, uh, pain called neuralgia, ended up being treated well and went home. Three other youths developed uh, significant depression. They were hospitalized due to suicidal ideation, and then they were uh, treated well and were released. These, again, was it from the vaccine or was it uh, just coincidence? The reason why it's hard to say is, A, it's very low numbers, so proving cause and effect with low numbers is always going to be difficult. And two, could these have just been occurring at the same rate that occur in the general public? We have seen, for instance, depression skyrocket in this age group overall. So those were the serious adverse events that were reported, unclear if they had anything to do with the vaccine. What about the common side effects that they saw? Right? And Kimberly, these may kind of ring a bell. Like They sound like the ones we experience as adults. The most common, by far, is always the pain from the needle, the injection site. You're going to get some um, discomfort from that. That was experienced up to 90%. Next was fatigue. That 66% experienced fatigue lasting about 24 hours after the second dose. The next most common side effect was a headache, again, lasting about 24 hours after the second dose. Chills, 41% after the second dose. And then finally, fevers. This seems to have occurred more in the 12 to 15-year-old group than I think I saw in the adults. But fevers registering greater than 38 degrees Celsius, about 20%, so more than 101 degrees Fahrenheit. So 20% experienced it after the second dose. So overall, Kimberly, I know I went through a lot of information. Happy to backtrack. You tell me, my friend. But I wanted to give a thorough, thorough recap the vaccine, 100% effective in 12 to 15-year-olds. That's awesome. 
very uh, low serious adverse events, low, meaning a total of five in the research group overall, one in placebo and four receiving a vaccine, with those serious adverse events likely uh, more so coincidences. And then the common side effects seem to be very short-lived as well. So back to you, my friend. Back to you. Let's dive into this or the face masks, whatever's coming up with the community. Sounds great. So um, the first question is, oh gosh, so many. Um, I lost my place. My apologies. Um, as far no, as no worries. <laughs> as, uh, as far as the dosage for Pfizer, is it the same um, for the 12 to 15 year olds as it is for 18 and over? Yes, still the same dose. So we'll probably see different doses as we go younger, but this one was the same dose. The second question um, is regarding taking vaccinations at the same time. So if a child goes in, say, for their flu vaccine or for the HPV vaccine, can they get the Pfizer vaccine at the same time or if they had, it, say, another vaccine within the last week or two? So I would, first, I would definitely run this by your the child's pediatrician, right? That's what I've always advocated for, for adults. So, in the adult world, we don't get as many vaccines. However, we still want to put some space between them. The reason for it is because, so a big one, I will say, and this might sound selfish, but a big one is because if an, a side effect is going to occur, it usually occurs within the first two weeks. And the, um, the COVID vaccine, being the new vaccine, we still want to be able to know what potentially came of it. So if someone goes and gets, their HPV vaccine and the flu shot and get the um, COVID vaccine, and a, week, uh, a day later they develop a rash, it's going to be really hard to know who caused it, right? And so the more insight we, ha we get from the general public, the better and safer we can make the vaccines overall. If we're not getting reported any side effects, then we're like, oh, we're good to go. So what I would really recommend to our listeners, two things. One, my own recommendation would be to space them out at least two weeks apart um, for the reason I just gave, but to also talk with your pediatrician and, and see what he or she would recommend as well. Is that helpful, Kimberly? Yes, perfect. Thank you. The next one is a very interesting question. Um, so 12 to 15-year-olds are going through uh, hormonal changes. Is there any evidence to suggest that um, during this change, you know, I'm, when I saw this question, I'm immediately thinking of my son who just turned 13 and going through those uh, puberty different changes, will they experience um, more potential for severe side effects to the vaccine as they're becoming more of an adult? Got it. So the question, if I understood correctly, is this age group is unique because it tends to be the one of a, of a good life change, right? They're, they're going through puberty. So are you asking if they're going to experience more side effects um, as compared to adults, or, or do you mean more side effects as compared to youth who have yet not gone through puberty? Um, so more side effects as if they were an adult. I see. So the side effects, yeah, I, I, think, I think I grasped it. Uh, from what I can tell from the side effects that were listed, comparing it to the adults, they seem to be okay. 
meaning they're, the, they're happening at the same rate. The only one that I think is a little bit higher is just a little bit more fevers in the pediatric group, you know, the 12 to 15-year-olds, uh, documented by a thermometer. I think the adults have to feel like it's around 10 to 15%. But uh, honestly, can really, I think the side effects are pretty much the same between adults and the youth. Great. Thank you for clarifying. Now, um, we, you did cover some of these um, during your updates, but just to make sure um, they got their answer and in case anyone joined the call late, as far as recommendations of wearing the mask when um, there are children that have not been vaccinated yet, is it safe for them to be around grandparents or other family members that have not been, that have been vaccinated? Yeah, so the, the general consensus is if you are still in your bubble, right, the bubble conversation that predates the vaccine, as always said, if you're in a trusted bubble, you can kind of interact with them, small groups, knowing, hey, we're all doing the right thing, we're not bringing COVID into our interaction, we can put face masks down. So within your small bubble, that's always safe. If your children are going to interact with people who are vaccinated, Two things. One, if those vaccinated people have no symptoms, you should be fine. They should be okay. But two, talk to those people who are uh, vaccinated, right? Even if they're in your small bubble, still talk to them. Like, hey, want to make sure that you're doing okay. You're, you're taking all the proper precautions and not catch COVID if you enter the public. So if our listeners do that, yeah, I think those little rugrats can go out and hug their grandparents. If the grandparents are fully vaccinated and they're like, no, we, we practice safe precautions, we have no symptoms, we're good to go. I think that is very reasonable for them to interact. Thank you. Back to you, Kimberly. So um, the next question is um, a fantastic question. And it says, if I am vaccinated and get COVID, can I give that mild case to somebody else and it could be life-threatening for them, particularly if they haven't been vaccinated. Yes, so that's the key here. So the recommendations actually still say it, it's not for people who are vaccinated. It's for people who are vaccinated and don't have symptoms. If you have a mild case, you, need, you should stay home, right? And if you have a mild case where you think it could be COVID, talk with your healthcare professional and seek out proper testing. So yes, 100% for those, for our audience, if you got the vaccine, great. Just know if you do catch SARS-CoV-2, it will be a mild case, which is, you know, that's what the vaccine wants to do. It's kind of like those years when you hear people go, I got the flu vaccine, I still got the flu. I'm like, I know my friends, it's not meant to keep you from getting the, the virus, it's meant from you getting a life-threatening version of it. So the the, big thing to take away from the listener's point or question is, yes, if you do catch COVID and you have a mild case of it, so that means you, the virus is still able to cause symptoms, and that usually conveys that the virus is in you making more of itself, and you breathe that out, and it's caught by someone who has not been vaccinated yet, yes, they will likely develop COVID, and it depends. It could be mild to severe, I think. We've, we've recognized everyone's different in how they respond to COVID. So 100%, if you have a mild case of COVID, that, and even if you're vaccinated, you still need to take the proper precaution of not 
uh, going out, you know, still taking the hygienic interventions, essentially, is what I'm trying to get at, or just staying home until your symptoms reside. Back to you, Kimberly. Thank you, Dr. G. And the next um, question is interesting. The fact sheet, F-A-C-T, the fact sheet received at the time of receipt of the Moderna vaccine states that the Moderna vaccine may not protect everyone. Does this mean that we cannot be sure that we are protected from the virus? I'd have to see what that sheet implies by that. Um, the, uh, the data that I reviewed by Moderna that they submitted seems that it, it protected everyone who was recruited for that research study, right? Well, everyone to some extent, right? We had 94 to 95% vaccine efficacy. So 94 to 95%, it's great. It's fantastic. There will probably be a, a small percentage, very small, who may not be protected. The challenge there is we don't know who those individuals would be. Now, me as a lung doctor, I have come across other patients like this. They've gone, they went and gotten a vaccine, and their immune system just never mounted a response to the vaccine. Right? So there are people with certain immunodeficiencies, right? They're kind of a, an immune system from a genetic predisposition that kind of keeps you from mounting these uh, immune memories. So what I would say to our listeners is talk with your healthcare professional and make sure that, you know, you think the vaccine will do exactly what we hope it to do, right? Give you that protection. That's the key here. With that said, um, what I, the, my last closing comment to that is still recognizing it's 94 to 95% effective, you know, why not to 100%? A lot of other unique variabilities to keeping a vaccine chapter being 100%. That's why it's so awesome that it's 100% for kids, but also goes to show you children's immune systems are still at the robust age at that level. So from my standpoint, who doesn't it protect? It's not a, it's not a general population. It's a small subgroup of individuals, um, and I would just really say talk to your doctor, make sure you get the confidence that you need that it's going to be protected. With that said, I will close with this comment. Let's say the Moderna and Pfizer, though, it is 100% effective. This is the part that caught me off guard when I was reviewing this. 100% effective for 70 and older. For our, for our grandparents and older population, that it was 100% effective. It's fantastic, right? Because usually your immune system at around that age really has become weakened simply because of age. And the fact that this was so potent enough to mount good immune responses for, the, for an older age group is fantastic. So that's what gives me peace of mind overall. So with that said, Kimberly, my, my long-winded response to all of this and the way I'd like to conclude it, talk with your healthcare professional to make sure that it is a, an appropriate vaccine for you and what to expect. But for the general population, the general population, this vaccine will do its job and give you the immune response that you need to be protected. Thank you, Dr. G. And can I, um, to end, can I ask you to share your recommendations and advice to those faith leaders that reached out about whether or not they should still require a mask in the worship because they don't know who has been vaccinated or not? 
So you are fantastic. And Kimberly and I, by the way, to our listeners, we do this a lot. So please, you know, keep emailing us, asking to have our time to come in and work with your congregation. I'm going to say this. I think, you know, I, I understand the CDC made its decision, presumably, I imagine they made their decision with the data that they had. I think in a time where we're still struggling to know who's been vaccinated and hasn't, we're not walking around kind of just playing our vaccine cards um, uh, proudly. Uh, I imagine there won't be like a bouncer at the congregation who's checking vaccine cards, analogous to checking an ID. So what I would say, and I'm happy to have these conversations more intimately, I would say for faith-based organizations, I think it's completely reasonable to still abide by face mask policies for the time being until you see these numbers continue to go higher and higher and higher. And I say this because it's, it's, it's going around and asking who's been vaccinated or not, I said that a little jokingly, but at the same time, it is a private matter. And everyone has their own personal decision to make about getting the vaccine, right? I sit here as a physician, I'm, I'm championing it, I get it, because I, I, I've read the science, I understand it, but at the same time, I also recognize it is a personal decision for everyone. So don't think it's fair to go around and say, have you been vaccinated or not? I do think it's reasonable for a church, or a synagogue, a mosque to say, it's great about the CDC. We're still going to wear face masks here, right? We want to see those numbers continue going higher and higher and higher. Maybe those congregations can also use this moment as kind of an advocacy standpoint. If you want us to really put those face masks down, Talk to your neighbor. Make sure we can get that number up here in Baltimore City, in Baltimore County, in Wacomico County. Let's see if we can get these numbers greater than 70% or 80%, right? Close, as close to 100 as possible. If you can do that, then I feel even more confident. But right now, you know, we're, we're a little shy of one out of two. I, that, that, that's my recommendation. That's Dr. G's, and I'm happy to have meetings, congregational conversations to go over that uh, more thoroughly. So... Kimberly, what do you think? Do you think that's reasonable, my friend? I, I think it's great advice. Thank you. You know, and I, I got one more question that came in, and I think it's a really important one. And do you mind if I ask one more? No, no, go for it, my friend. Okay. So you had mentioned earlier, I believe you said about 41% of Marylanders are uh, fully vaccinated, meaning they got both shots and um, two weeks later. Um, if someone only decided to get one shot of the vaccine and not the other, should they um, go back? So say they, the time frame of the 28 days or whatever it is passed, should they go back and get the first dose again or is it still okay to get the second dose? And the second part of that question is if they are weary about getting the second dose, what is the, um, the value of having just one dose only? I put a lot out there. Did you stick with me? Yeah, it, 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 it's a complex question, and to our listeners, recognize that we really don't have data to discuss that. Right? that we usually rely on data in order to kind of know what, what we could recommend. We have the suspicion that a one-shot dose of the mRNA is about 67% effective. Um, so I imagine, let me put it this way. If you get the one dose and you're around a lot of other people who have been fully vaccinated, it's probably fine. 
but it's fine because you're getting their protection as well. Um, if, if you are likely not going to be around a lot of people who have been fully vaccinated, I would strongly encourage reaching out to your healthcare professional, going over how many days it's been, and make kind of a consensus reasoning of getting it or not. I see this because, you know, the uh, antibody response from the booster probably is going to be okay for up to potentially two to three months. It should be fine to get it within that time frame. Throughout of that window, you're, you're relying on, on many of us coming up with a good hypothesis, but not much data to back it up. So that's the challenge um, our listeners are going to have. I would just strongly encourage, if, if you plan to get one, if you plan to get um, the uh, two-shot vaccine, just to make sure that your schedule can accommodate. That's what I would strongly encourage, because if it cannot, then you know, try to go towards the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is safe. We promise we talked about that before, um, but honestly, it would, um, you know, that, 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 that's what I would say in a recommendation um, in regards to the vaccine overall. So it's a good question. The challenge is we just don't have that kind of data to feed it back reliably of what to expect, but we can comment a little bit more on kind of hypothesis thinking and so forth. I hope that helped, Kimberly. Thank you, and I just wanted to thank everyone um, again for all of their, their their questions and comments and the few that we didn't specifically address, um, we will surely address by email. So any other closing thoughts and comments before we close, Dr. G? No, I would say to our um, just listeners, we're, we're, Kimberly and I are always here for you all. If you feel like your organization, your congregation needs more of our time, let us know. We're happy to help. And I stand by the comment that I said earlier. While I trust in the vaccine, I trust in the science that I read, I still recognize that making decisions of health are still personal matters. So to our listeners, when you go and talk to others or even talk, have an internal conversation with yourself, just know what it would mean for you to get the vaccine. Hold no judgment. Hold no stigma. Everyone has to make that personal decision. As human beings, we're in this together. There's a greater good to accomplish if we are all vaccinated. Lives will be saved at the same time. It's a personal decision. So, Kimberly, with that said, my friend, I think it's great um, to uh, come to an end to today's Friday call and take it from there. Thank you, Dr. G, and I hope you have a good weekend. Um, before I turn the call over to Reverend Johnson, Please note that our next COVID-19 Community Partners Call will be on Friday, May the 21st at 11 a.m. But please also note that there will be no call on Friday, May the 28th. Please enjoy the Memorial Holiday Weekend safely. And now for those who would like to stay on the call, Reverend Johnson will offer closing thoughts and a prayer. Thank you, Kimberly, and good morning to you and to everyone. And Thank you and Dr. G for uh, such excellent uh, information. It's really going to help us as we continue navigating uh, coming out of COVID-19. And so as we end our community gathering and our information sharing today, we recognize that this month we celebrate those Americans who are of Asian and Pacific Island heritage. There's a quote by Maxine Hong Kingston, who is a Chinese-American and award-winning author and professor emerita at 
University of California, Berkeley, that I want to uh, build our closing meditation and prayer around. Ms. Kingston says, in a time, and I quote, in a time of destruction, create something, end quote. In a time of destruction, create something. This past year pandemic can certainly be viewed or experienced as a time of destruction with loss of normalcy, loss of opportunity, loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of good health, and loss of life. It felt as though many of the pillars that served as our foundation had been destroyed. The positive thing, however, about destruction or deconstruction is that it can open up vast opportunities to create, construct, and build anew in a way that not only vastly improves upon what was, but also in a way that perhaps could not have been done had the previous structures remained in place. And so I invite you to join me in this prayer. Lord God of new creations, who is ever expanding and always revealing, grant, we pray, that as we begin the process of emerging from this devastating disaster that has traumatized us and destroyed so much of what we held as dear, help us through the clouds of dust, and through the remnants and rubble, through the potholes and cracks and crevices, to see the beauty of opportunity, the opportunity to design upon a clean page and to develop with new knowledge and to build upon newly graded and prepared ground, not a memorial to what used to be, but a grand monument to new and greater ways of being and living and loving for all, so that those who have died will not have died in vain, but will have died as seeds that will live again by springing forth from destruction to creation of new life. For we hear your voice, O God, saying through some of your holy writ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Out of this present destruction, Lord God, help us to create something pleasing in your sight. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Johnson, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible by the Johns Hopkins Bayview Healthy Community Partnership, its Department of Spiritual Care and Chaplaincy, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine's Medicine for the Greater Good, and the Johns Hopkins Institute for Clinical and Translational Research.